welcome to Writing a Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing a Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Raila Nayibzadeh, and here she is to introduce herself. My name is Raila Nayibzadeh. Um, Monster Child is my first book, but I've also published an autobiographical novel called Jigarama. Um, I have my PhD in education, and I recently left my job as a teacher so that I can watch my boys and raise them. Ryla's book, Monster Child, is a finalist for the 2022 Athel Wilson Fiction Prize and the 2022 Roderick Haig Brown Regional Prize. In our conversation, we talked about monsters and ghost stories, as well as family secrets. Ryla starts our conversation with a reading from Monster Child. All right, so I'll be reading from chapter nine. Uh, This is from part two, told from Shabnam's perspective. So Friday, March 10th, 2000. Aleph and Bay swing the school doors open and enter as I walk behind them. Bay is more excited than usual. She walks down the hallway, spitting out little Kim's clean bitch lyrics as if she's already won the poetry contest. Mr. Potato Head Jackson, Mrs. Neenocker Tits Mill, and Mrs. Headsford Tits Lamb, nicknames given to them by Aleph and Bay, whisper to one another in the corridor as they see the two. You watch your language. Mr. Jackson shouts at Bay, revealing his buck teeth. With mouth wide open and protruding teeth, Bay says, good morning to you too. She then asks Mrs. Milne, you excited for me to win today? Very excited, she says before turning to her colleagues to roll her eyes. What makes you think you're going to win? Mrs. Lamb shouts. Mr. Harvey says that, that rhetorical questions aren't meant to be answered. Bay says. She high-fives Aleph, who's always encouraging her inappropriate behavior. Bay isn't an idiot. She knows the teachers are mocking her, yet she doesn't seem to be bothered. I wish I had an ounce of her courage. Bay's two nerdy sidekicks, whom she likes to refer to as a doorknob and doormat, wait at Bay's locker. They first help Bay with her knapsack and books and then Aleph. Where to? Dormat asks them. We've got time. Let's say hi first, Aleph says. I head to my locker and watch Bay and Aleph walk past different cleats, which the two have nicknamed. Doorknob, who mimics Aleph's walk, clears the way as they greet the Filipino breakdancers, the Asians that bombard the cafeteria microwave during lunch period, the Serbs that rule the cafeteria, the two cool-for-school South Asians, the, les- the lesbian hippies, the Persian metrosexuals with plucked eyebrows, and the white walking boners. The doorbell rings, and doorknob and doormat walk them to their classes. At 10 a.m., the grade 12s are asked to proceed to the gym. Mr. Thompson, the principal, waits patiently for the audience to quiet down before starting the event. Our contestants have been working hard on their poems. We ask that you show your respect by saving your applause for the very end. 
Cell phones should be turned off and there should be no talking during the presentation. Parents, please wait to take photos after the event is complete, he says. The audience becomes weary, a sign for Mr. Thompson to move faster. He turns to the panel of judges and smiles. We have five exceptional judges, all of whom hold a master's in English literature. Mr. Lee, Mrs. Long, Mr. Chan, Mr. Harvey, and Mrs. Sandu. They will be judging contestants based on their writing skills, performance, and effort. The winner will be selected to represent our school at the annual Poets Voice Award in Toronto. When Mr. Harvey's name is called, the students holler. Mr. Harvey was voted one of the best teachers in our school because he hardly teaches, barely assigns homework, and doesn't complain or punish students for speaking over him. He has a mutual understanding with his students. He doesn't acknowledge their existence and vice versa. Rumor has it that early on in his career, Mr. Harvey had passion and drive. But after 20 years of teaching in a school that's poorly funded and lacking carrying staff and administration, he's become rusty and unmotivated. He even eats lunch, always a ham and cheese sandwich on plain white bread alone in his unorganized and cluttered classroom. Please welcome Harinder Gill from grade 12, Justin Chang from grade 11, Sonia Prasad from grade 10, Sahar Ilham from grade nine, and Mr. Thompson stops to crack his fingers and his neck before calling out the final contestant. Sounding nervous, he continues, and Bay Afshar from grade eight. Masood and his wife stand and cheer as their daughter Sahad is called to the stage. Sahad poses for a photograph before sitting in her seat. I lower my head, not wanting them to recognize me in the crowd. Whispers grow louder as the audience waits for Bay to walk to the stage. Mr. Thompson looks worried. His face turns red. Mr. Thompson isn't the only one on edge. So are all the other teachers on the panel. Bay has been building up to this moment for a while. This morning on our walk to school, Bay said the following about Mr. Thompson. That old woman's vagina breath won't know what's coming. Just don't get yourself suspended, I replied. Suddenly, my teacher pulls me aside. Your sister needs to speak to you. She says it's urgent. She's waiting for you off stage. I meet Bay, who has just finished crying and is waiting for me in a dark corner. What's the matter, I ask. Mr. Harvey told the class this morning that it's his last day. He's off to Mexico to get married. And then he's going on his honeymoon. We're going to have a substitute teacher for the next three months, she says. The thought of Mr. Harvey getting married makes me sick. But instead I say, this is why you called me? This ruins everything, she cries. I can't be the talk of the town after being hit with news like this. How could he betray our love? Shut up, eh? Get yourself together and get out there. You've already embarrassed me enough, I say, and then walk away. One sitting, I can't stop staring at Mr. Harvey. Who would marry that? I don't even know what Bay sees in him. He's old, fat, hairy, and the most unattractive teacher at North Hall Secondary. But none of that matters to her because she claims to love him for praising her writing. If you could only read one book or watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? One TV show or one book. My favorite, well, I'd choose Game of Thrones. 
uh, I just like it. It's so, it's so dark. Um, and I, I can't get bored of it. Like, I just love it. Everything about it, even the writing, like the script writing, it's just so great. And like the visual, everything. I love it. I love dragons and, um, and I like things that have like a dark side to it and humor. And I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Great. I have not watched Game of Thrones. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> I, I feel like it's like there's so much of it now that it's like hard to get in. Like it was such a commitment and that scares me a little bit with TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's so great. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you said you are you like that dark and the comedy and and dragons. And, and maybe I want to start just like with talking about monsters a little bit with you because I was so curious about that word it appears in the book quite a bit but it I also it had me thinking about like how we think of monsters in stories mm -hmm. and like fairy tales and mythology because I think sometimes we think of monsters as being dark and scary but I think we can also see them as like you know in a way like a unicorn or something of that nature is kind of has similar qualities but it has we have a different um feeling towards it so i wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about how you thought about monsters when you approached this book yeah when it i think when i wrote about monsters i wasn't so much interested in who was the monster or I was or like me telling what I think which character is a monster I was more interested in what readers had to say and there are some instances where it's not just like all all, all of the three kids they they think that they're monsters but they're really not and I kind of wanted to play around with that and I found it very interesting when some readers told me well I don't think the monster or the three children, it's probably just like societal expectations and like what culture, what the Afghan culture ex expects from you. And, and like, I kind of played around with all of that. I didn't really have a monster in mind and I didn't want it to be like about like a very, very horrible family. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted it, I wanted readers to connect with them and be like, oh, well, I see myself in those characters and um i see myself as a monster kind of if that makes any sense yeah no i think it does because i think like there was so much of of what we what i saw with the three characters but their family that i think i mean we can all relate to those feelings in some way and we might i think there are things that we might see in ourselves that maybe we don't like and so then we think of ourselves as monsters even though they're just kind of normal reactions yes yes of course yeah yeah i wanted to ask a little bit about deciding to write the story from the three points of view and why you chose to do it that way and not just picking like bay or shabnam or aleph to tell the whole story yeah um i was i've always been fascinated by a story about a family being told through the perspective of the kids and in their own words, um, uh, there were so many times where I'm like, oh, you know what, this is too difficult. Maybe I should just rewrite the whole thing again and just write it in like third person, 
third person point of view. And then I'm like, ah, no, I, I really like that it's being told from the perspective of the three kids. Um, but it was kind of challenging because I didn't want it to be seen as a YA book. Um, I wanted it. Uh, okay. So personally speaking, um, when it comes to like, you know, like I could have easily written this book, for example, because this book is about a troubled family and all the problems they have. So I could have written it from the perspective of Modat if I wanted to, but I chose not to. I wanted it from the three children because I think I didn't want it to be a completely depressing book. Um, I wanted it to appeal to young readers. I wanted it to be humorous. And I thought if I had it told from the three characters, then I could achieve all of that rather than having it about, I don't know, just like told from the perspective of the parents. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered about the, the three points of view also as like, I always find it interesting because I've read other books who do this too. Mm -hmm. Of course, like um, Susan Sanford Blaze's uh, Fake It So Real kind of does a similar thing, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting because I find it always, it's like this really interesting way that makes a story really like almost like pop out and have like multi dimensions because we get to see everyone's different opinions on something instead of just one character telling the whole story. And I think it's interesting because in some ways I wish I could see myself that way because we only see our own story and it's a different kind of way to explore a family from all the different sides. Right. Yes. And so I wondered, you know, how did, how does writing that way, how does it like impact how you see other stories, like even your own story and think of the world around you, like that multi, cause I, like I said, I always wonder if someone could write my story, what would it look like from three people's points of view? Um, well, uh, it, I didn't really find it that difficult because um, when it came to writing well, I found it difficult in a sense that I wanted readers to be like, okay, these are told from three different characters and they all sound different. So that that was challenging at times, but um, writing Bay from Bay's perspective was pretty simple because um, that's how I was when I was a teenager. I talked exactly like her. Um, I acted a lot like her. I was such a brat. And so that was very easy for me to do. But then I also had part of that like angry, mad side that Alif has too. So I had to just like channel into that, which was all so, um, so much fun for me to do because, you know, when those are just like how teenagers talk and you don't want to sound like a teenager, but like when you're, when you're writing, you're free to do that. And also Alif reminds me a lot of my older brother. So I just had to like pretend that I was just imagining my childhood and how we all behave in a certain way. And Shabnam, maybe hers was a little uh, difficult just because I couldn't associate her with anyone. Um, But yeah, overall, like I had lots of fun doing it. Yeah. It's, it's, 
It's interesting because, like you said, it the you like Game of Thrones because it's like you like dark and comedy and all those things, right. and that this book really captures that for me. And I think it's because of those three siblings, like they all bring their own personalities to a story that could be, you know, if it was told in a different way, could just be very like could be dark. But instead, we get Bay's mm-hmm. sense of humor in there and her kind of, you know, she's dealing with a very traumatic time in her life, but she still kind of has a sense of humor about things and the whole thing with Mr. Harvey still cracks me up. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you a bit about the process for this, for the book. Like, did you know, you you said you toyed a little bit with doing third person, um, like the whole thing in third person. Mm -hmm. Did you know exactly the story when you started or are you a person who kind of writes and figures it out as you go? I, Oh, I I knew the story, but at the same time, I wrote six drafts of Monster Child, and each draft was different. Um, I I almost went crazy writing it. It kept changing every time, but ultimately, I knew how I wanted it to end. Um, so that. There were certain times where uh, things just came to me at the moment, and I've been, and 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 at times I'll be honest, I kind of don't even remember because I've been working on this book for so long, and originally it was supposed to be a fantasy novel, and then I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to work out for me, but I knew I wanted like some elements of fantasy in it. And then I was teaching um, the Jade Peony by right, Wayson Choi uh, to in Gladstone Secondary to English 10 students. And then I'm like, wow, now I know what I need to do. <laughs> so that novel influenced me the most, I, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. How was the process different for this book um, versus your, your other novel that you mentioned? Oh, the other one, I I had to do a lot of, uh, I had to interview my parents quite a bit because it was their story. Mm-hmm. It's um, My first novel, Jigatama, is based on our uh, immigration story from Afghanistan to Canada. So that one, I had to talk a lot to my siblings and my parents. But with this one, it just had to do with thinking back about my own childhood and my own kind of experiences that I faced. Is it challenging to, to tell those stories of home um, and those stories that are personal connected, even though it's, it's fiction? Yes. Yes. But I'm finding it that as I'm getting older, it's becoming easier because when I was young, I was always afraid I think a part of me still is, but I was afraid to share too much. But now I'm just like, no, nope, I'm going to, I'm just going to share whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. And it might upset people, but this is all I have. Like I can only, I can only speak what I want to speak in fiction and I don't want to limit myself. Yeah. I wanted to um, talk a little bit about the role of secrets in this story, because there's a lot of secrets in this story. Uh, but it 
you're kind of masterful in the way that by putting the pieces together, we start to kind of all the layers come off and we get to see behind that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I wondered about the challenges of dealing with those secrets so that you didn't give away too much and so that the readers got just the right information at the right time. Yeah. Um, I, it was kind of challenging because I had to, because it wasn't told from beginning to end, like it was in chronological order. Uh, and I wanted it, I just found it at like, okay, well, what if at the end when, when readers read it and they're like, okay, this was a big secret, not a big deal. But in our culture, it is a big deal. And there were times where I, I wanted to kind of hint at it in base section um it was just but I it was it was really hard and I don't remember <laughs> the exact process to be honest with you but it was challenging was that something that you really worked through like as you were doing the drafts like making sure you had that kind of timing of of those things just right yes yes yeah yeah the other thing that I that really came across in the story was like kind of this double sided um, coin of guilt and responsibility that seemed to impact the family. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that in the book. Well, I think, yeah, when you say that, the first character that comes to mind right now is just Aleph. And um, just speaking from my own personal experience, like, I, my eldest brother, he, there's so much responsibility on him and he carries a lot of guilt, even though he's not the eldest child. Um, so there was a lot of that put in there. And there, there, like, you know, just when I think about my own childhood and my own upbringing, there was a lot of guilt. Like, you have to do this, um, especially like when it comes to your role as a daughter um and and your responsibilities and to like towards your parents especially towards your mother yeah those were very challenging but I had to talk about them and I think too like those are those relatable feelings that you talked about that lots of families can relate to those feelings of guilt and responsibility all the way from you know, the mother and the father down to the kids. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know if I, if you intended this. I know sometimes readers, when they read things, they pick up on things that writers never intend us to, uh, to see. And, and, but one of the things that I really was struck by was the kind of way that blood moved through the book. Um, because of course we've got Shabnam with her her tears of blood but also there's um you know injury and bodily harm but then of course blood as family as well and wondered if you could talk about that in the book as well oh yes um that was very intentional um and that i guess that has to do with me having like a sick mind and being twisted <laughs> and really liking that dark and the darkness and the like the ugliness of like a family and all the secrets and the ugly like I try to 
blood was like the perfect metaphor for that. And I'm just, honestly, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with blood and it's not for, not for good reasons. Like I've, I've shared this before in the past that um, it has to do with my own trauma. Uh, when I was 10 and my youngest brother was five, he got hit by a car. And from then on, like I've just been seeing blood, you know, it's part of my trauma. And to this day, like I don't drive, like certain things trigger me whenever kids turn five or whenever I see it, like one of my kids walking even close to a car, like I just, like it's my own trauma um, and I'm trying to find beauty in it. And at the same time, it's also very, like, I guess, ugly and dark, but it needs to be in there for it to work. And you can see that in the book, like, it seems like they're grappling with trying to find, especially with Shabnam, and I thought it was quite beautiful when he he talks about her tears being, mm -hmm. like, tulips and rubies, and, like, they're trying right. to kind of make her not see it as being ugly and that it could be a gift, yeah. too. Yes, yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, you said you like dark, the dark side of things. <laughs> this has come up a few times now. But um, do you like ghost stories? Are you a person who likes that sort of thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, even even when it comes to fantasy, I'm, I'm not a fan. But I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, but I'm not into ghost stories at all. I'm not into like horror. I'm not, I'm not into any of that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up kind of writing? I mean, there are ghosts <laughs> in this book. How did that happen? Oh, the ghost. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's actually very cultural. Okay. Um, that's cultural. Like in my culture, we believe a lot in ghosts, especially um, those of the dead. Mm. Uh, we, we get, we get a lot of visits from the dead and they, and they're always, watching out for us and and speaking to us um and we look to them for you know wisdom and so that part was cultural yeah it's just i i always find ghost stories interesting too because of course ghost stories um can be scary but also yes. like there are ghost stories that are comforting and and there are nice ghosts and i think sometimes we don't talk about the nice ghosts <laughs> yeah I think that was about it was there anything else you wanted to talk about about with Monster Child that I didn't mention well like I, I'm I'm interested to hear what um like what your favorite part was and and how I it, like you know uh how do you think it ends for the children um just interested to hear what readers have to say well I mean I I was really, I like the voice of the characters were what pulled me in. Like I, I loved Bay. I just thought she was just so outspoken and I had such, um, my heart ached for all of, all of them and the whole family. Like, it's just, it's one of those family stories where, um, you feel like, oh, there, there's this family in such an impossible situation and they're just doing their best. And I think that's the case for so many, um, families. 
I mean, I thought the way you you put together the like, like I said, the secrets and the way everything kind of sort of came mm-hmm. into like focus was really amazing. I had a moment at the end where I like kind of gasped because it was so kind of surprising to me yeah. how it all came together. Um, yeah, just and all the different like family components, like th- the way the aunt was involved and and how it's interesting because I'm reading. Um, Danielle Geller's book right now, Dog Flowers, which was nominated for the nonfiction prize and and uh, um, the Jim Deaver Prize for writing that provokes. And she writes a lot about her own family and the role that secrets kind of played and how people told different versions of their family story and how it changed over time. And it, it as I was kind of thinking of your book today, I was like, oh, these books really fit together so nicely in a way because it's that that was like those family dynamics it's just you I never get tired of reading about people's families because yeah. it's always so interesting and so relatable too at the same time yes 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 so if you were to choose the monster child who who do you think oh I don't think any of them I didn't think any oh. of them were monsters yeah I just thought I really thought it was like I could I could kind of see like it was, yeah, I could just understand how they were all put in a position where they acted the way they did, and I didn't see anyone as being a monster. That was Ryla Nayibzadeh, author of Monster Child. Monster Child is a finalist for the 2022 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize and the 2022 Roderick Haig Brown Regional Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we have a whole bunch of really great events coming up, so you'll want to find out more about that, and you can find all the details on our social media and website. Next time on Writing a Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Cedar Bowers. Cedar's book, Astra, is a finalist for the 2022 Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.